Hi, it's David Freudberg from Humankind on Public Radio. Stay tuned. Our podcast begins in a moment after this brief word. It's true that you never really know what someone else might be going through. But just think about what might happen if we did. How we might treat each other with more patience and compassion. The world needs us to take a step back and listen to one another. I'm Kathleen Merrigan. And I'm Ingrid Busson-Hall. We're the hosts of This Is My Silver Lining, the podcast where, each week, we pull together the strongest threads of our humanity, courage, kindness, compassion, and gratitude. Our guests explore their toughest moments and how rising to the challenges led them to discover unexpected opportunities, connection, and community. We know you'll be inspired by these stories about the people you might pass on the sidewalk or stand next to in line at the grocery store about what inspires them to take chances, to be kind, and to find gratitude despite the obstacles that they face. Subscribe to This Is My Silver Lining on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. If you were growing up on a farm 100 years ago and your nearest neighbors were, you know, six miles away, most of what you did was you played outside in the fields with the natural world. I mean, there was no television, there was no radio, there were virtually no other people. So the family was, you know, the unit. Now, I mean, families are like, you know, under assault like never before. Concerned parents think through ways to moderate the powerful social influences on their children. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. frenzied pace and ultra-charged atmosphere surrounding so much of our modern times leaves many parents pining for a calmer life, less ruled by high-tech fads and marketplace forces. This emerging movement of parents is worried that powerful media and cultural currents can make kids grow up too fast and too jaded. Some families have tried to declare the home as a shelter from society's crasser invasions. They're looking for a safe harbor where for at least part of the day, parents and children can be free from overstimulation. Myla Cabot-Zinn is a childbirth educator, nurse, and mother of three in Lexington, Massachusetts. I think it's, sometimes it's really important to step back, to step back and look at the whole fabric of, of our family life and to ask ourselves, what is most important to us? And I think when we start asking that question, we immediately begin to see that some things that are happening in, the, in, in, the, in our day or in, in the family are really not necessary. We may find that every spare moment is caught up with either answering the phone or the fax machine or, you know, all the different technologies in the home that interrupt us at all times of the day and sometimes the night. 
and we might decide to be uh, to take things more into our own hands and say, look, you know what? Let's have a period of time in the evening when we shut off the phones. Let's have a kind of let's create a, a no technology zone here. I heard someone recently say there are just too many things beeping. Yeah. Well, I think that what we're losing, we're really losing the ability to create our own rhythms. You know, we start something, we get into a rhythm, the phone rings. Somebody had an idea somewhere that they wanted to talk to us. But our rhythm, our intention, our, our purpose gets interrupted. And I think in the home it's really valuable to create a space and for the children to feel that, where we're just being together. You know, we don't necessarily have to be talking to each other, but to shut off the TV, to shut off the computer, to create a space for people to be together or to read or to, to, um, to draw or to um, talk with each other or whatever it is that they want to do without interruption, without um, a machine being involved, without some kind of outside stimulation. That's what creativity comes out of. Creativity comes out of spaciousness. It comes out of boredom. It comes out of space. And if we don't create space like that in the family, there really isn't a lot of room for creativity. Um, there isn't a lot of room for people to, as I said, to establish their own rhythms and to see it through. Every family has a different situation. We all have many, many more opportunities. We have so many more options than we think we have. If we just step back, we look at what's going on, and we ask ourselves, what is most important? What's going to nourish the family? What's, go what's going to nourish the individuals in the family? The Cabot's Inn family has been especially sensitized to the stresses of life. Myla's husband, Dr. John Cabot's Inn, heads a renowned clinic at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center, where patients learn ways to reduce the health-depleting effects of stressful conditions. The core of his work is a philosophy called mindfulness. It means to pay careful attention, to develop a kind of mental lens through which you can observe your life more calmly and clearly, and it can transform the way parents interact with children. The power of the approach based on mindfulness is that how much of the time we come to notice that we're not really present at all ourselves. So it's very hard to be present for your children when you are in the habit of not really being present, period. So much of the day we're on automatic pilot, zoning through and living more in our heads and more in our thoughts and more in our ideas and opinions than in a sort of embodied experiencing of the present moment unfolding. And so it's actually very challenging to be aware of your ideas and expectations and the projections that you're uh, directing towards your children so that we can get very easily caught up in surface behaviors and actions so that if we like what's going on on the surface everything's okay if we don't like what's going on uh, and a lot of the time as parents of course we're going to be completely challenged moment by moment because in order for children to find out who they are they're going to do all sorts of things that will bring them up against our conceptual limits. And that's part of the natural experience of parenting. And what we mean to do by expanding the conversation to include mindfulness is to suggest that in a way, this 
period of one's life that we call parenting, you know, 20 or 30 years worth of one's life, can actually, instead of being a struggle, as it so much of the time is, could be held in a larger framework, one that sees it almost as a kind of a yoga, uh, a way in which both the child or the children and the parents will be stretched, sometimes to their limits, hopefully not beyond. And in that process, if held in awareness, uh, there's a kind of a deep nourishing that goes on that's bi-directional. The children get nourished by our willingness to work at seeing beneath the, s- the surface of who they are and appreciating, being open-hearted towards who they are. And we also benefit as parents, as adults, because that very stretching against our limits actually serves us in every dimension of our own lives so that we can be more present, less reactive, less caught up in our emotional uh, uh, tumult and so forth, and therefore navigate more effectively through the various dimensions of our own lives that include but aren't limited to raising children. How about when parents fall into this trap of um, autopilot thinking or absence of consciousness, can that be harmful to the child? I think we all know when somebody is with us and when they're not. And kids are very sensitive to that. So when we're moving through our day, and we have a lot to do, we all do, we have a lot of pressures, but when we consistently move through our day never really being present, never really listening to our children, never really looking in their eyes and seeing them, then there's a huge loss there. And I think children feel it. Um, There's a loss of the potential for tremendous pleasure and the pleasure of connection, of connecting with our children, and in some ways of nurturing their souls and spirits with our being. And very often we get so caught up in doing that we forget about being with our children. I think to be with one's children means to actually be in the present moment so that when you're with them, you're not caught up in thinking about what you have to do next or what happened yesterday or um, looking at them with um, all sorts of held over anger from the morning of something that happened, um, just, just as an example. And of course, it's different for different ages and at different stages. But just the simple example of a school-aged child who comes home from school Now, that morning, perhaps the child left her room a mess, and maybe you um, had a disagreement about it, and um, perhaps as you hear the door open, you're thinking about that. You're also wondering, does she have homework? Is she going to do her homework? Am I going to have to help her with her homework? What's she going to do to get out of doing her homework? And all of a sudden, you feel yourself building up all of this anger and resentment and fear. And a lot of it is fear-based. She's not going to do her homework. She's going to have a test tomorrow. Maybe she's going to do badly on it. She walks in the door. She, doesn't, she looks a little bit messy. Maybe she put on something you don't like. That moment when she walks in the door, you're already meeting her. Your body's tense. Your voice is hard. You almost can't see her. And there's a moment that's completely lost. Now, there's time. There's time to deal with issues like, you know, you didn't clean up your room. I'd really like to talk with you about that. There's time to deal with the homework later. In that moment when your child walks in the door, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to see them. 
you have an opportunity to welcome them home. And they may be grumpy. They may not be happy to be home. How often do we walk in the door and feel really happy? Usually we're carrying a lot of stuff from our day and we're grumpy. So can we give our child the leeway, the room, knowing they've had a hard day, it's been a full day, so they're grumpy. So we don't react to that grumpiness, but we understand. Now, that's the difference between understanding and being a doormat. But, you know, there are a lot of fine aspects to this, and that's why it's so hard to talk about. Personally, do you find it challenging to set aside the stuff that we're normally sp spinning in and open up and be available to someone who's coming in the door carrying all of their burdens from outside? Yeah, it's, it is hard. It's, it's hard work, and it's also incredibly satisfying. And I don't always succeed, just like everybody. I'm a human being. And part of this work is as we bring compassion, really, as we try to bring a more compassionate attitude toward our children, we also have to be a little bit more compassionate to our, towards ourselves. That, yeah, there are going to be times when we're really able to bring mindfulness into a moment and be present and be available and be appropriately responsive. And then there are going to be times when we just get carried down a particular trajectory unconsciously and find ourselves in a place we do not want to be. And before it's too late, we're there. And we may end up having to regroup afterwards and perhaps apologize to the child or else really hold it in our own awareness and look at it more closely. And I just want to add that sometimes these very loaded kinds of reactions, these emotional hijacks that we find ourselves in, are actually have more to do uh, with our own experience as children. You know, we, we carry a lot of baggage with us into our parenting from our own experiences. And if we can look at that, if we can look more closely at, you know, where does this come from? For some reason, this really brought a huge response for me. Sometimes it's interesting to find that it actually has less to do with the present moment than some patterns that we grew up with in our own experience as being, you know, as children. Sometimes to my horror, I discovered it has nothing to do with the present moment. <laughs> <clears throat> I think we all find that to be true. We're talking with Myla and John Kabat-Zinn. They're authors of Everyday Blessings, The Inner Work of Mindful Parenting. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. We live in a time where the culture really doesn't support our children very much in terms of giving them really healthy, positive messages. I think a lot of children, a lot of teenagers are engaged in activities that sometimes really are not in their best interest, and there aren't a lot of really positive alternatives for them to engage in. Uh, and I think that, um, just from my own experience, I think that you know, working with my children to support them in. Uh, tapping into some of the more positive aspects of the culture has been very satisfying. I mean, I think my children have a very uh, basically healthy and uh, self-caring attitude. And um, But even even with that, it's easy sometimes to um, to be concerned with the, the media as it is and with the society as it is right now. 
How have you faced that problem? I know in the book you made reference to the tremendous resentment that some kids, uh, I guess, pretty understandably have when boundaries are imposed on them to uh, protect them from this very materialistic culture, but that really runs against the grain of everything their peer group is doing. Well, I think it it boils down to what you think is really important and what uh, is most important for the well-being of your children. So at every age and at every stage, you're drawing different lines, and they are expanding out into the world and being exposed to things that you might not be ready for, or they may not be ready for. And you can't go to war over each one of them. You can't battle every single one of these things because, and and this has become more so in the past 100 years and even in the past 10 or 15 years, that parents have less and less control over the world in which their children are growing up in because the world invades the home now through the media in ways that it never used to. And much of the child's time, I mean, I think I read just yesterday in the newspaper uh, on an article about teenage obesity in America, which is uh, epidemic proportions, that it's linearly related to the amount of television hours that kids watch. And there have been a number of very good studies done about this. And the number of hours of television that kids are watching nowadays is averaging around 30. And this is, uh, you know, 30 hours of not just sitting on a couch and eating, but also being exposed to all sorts of things that fill your mind, uh, that uh, excite emotions of one kind or another, that create situations that the parents have absolutely or very little say in, and many of these things are extremely powerful in the form of movies, images, news, and that kind of thing. Parents have to, I think, really hold this in awareness so that we can not completely surrender or abdicate our responsibilities being in sort of guiding relationships with our children as they're moving into their own lives and their own being. And sometimes our children, as you say, will really resist us holding the line on a particular place, whatever that is. And we have to sort of ask ourselves, are we doing this just out of kind of automatic reflex? Are we doing it simply out of our own fear or out of our own um, narrow-mindedness? An- another kind of autopilot. Exactly. And this is where the mindfulness comes in. It's an examination. It's in asking myself, what is important here? And how am I holding this? Am I simply being rigid for rigidity's sake? Am I being self-righteous? Am I saying, this is the way I see it, and I'm not going to change my view even if you're being in some way or other unreasonable or your child has an interesting point of view, which at least should be heard or thought of. And then finally, I think, if one relates to things in this way, it doesn't necessarily make life any easier because you're still going to be stretching against these envelopes that you just don't want to deal with, but you have to deal with them. And rather than abdicate that responsibility in doing that, first of all, the child will see that you really care. So whichever position you wind up taking, if the child has this deeper sense that 
of trust that my, my father's not just blowing me off, but he is really caring for me that even if he's like wildly angry about, you know, not being able to say have a television in his room or take the car whenever he wants or whatever it is that's the issue of the moment or go to a, a party where there's no parental supervision, even if everybody else is going. The deep underlying message, and the kids know that, is that this is like love. This is an expression of our love. But if it's done in a context where it's no to everything and you're never giving the child the benefit of the doubt or trusting them to make their own decisions, then ultimately they're going to have to break with you entirely to find their own being, to find their own autonomy. From the miraculous moment of childbirth itself, parents know they face the weighty responsibility of caring for and guiding the young life. They recognize they will be tested and taught along the way. For John Cabot-Zinn, that challenging process offers parents an enormous opportunity for personal growth and self-discovery. You could look as you, at your children, whether they're smaller or older, as like live-in Zen masters who are guaranteed to do everything that a Zen master would do if you were going into a Buddhist meditation monastery or something like that. Push all your buttons, all of the places where you feel some kind of sense of identification, this is me, and get you to reflect on that. I think it was Aristotle who said, the unexamined life is not worth living. What mindfulness is about is actually reflecting on our experience as it's unfolding from moment to moment. The danger of the automatic pilot mode, whether we're talking about parenting or anything, is that if you start to watch your mind, you'll notice that a huge amount of the time we're preoccupied with things that haven't happened yet. We're either planning for things that we want to happen, and we want to control the way they happen, or we're worrying about things that we don't feel we can control how it's going to happen, or we're obsessed with the past and why all these things came to be. And the present moment, which is the only time we're ever actually alive in and are capable of loving or seeing or listening or feeling or responding, can get really severely squeezed. So if you sum that over a period of uh, 20 or 30 years, you might actually miss most of your life. And Thoreau and many other people made that observation that life is very easily missed. And you talk to parents of grown children and they'll say, my God, it went by like a flash. At the moment it was happening, you think, if I have to spend another 24 hours with two toddlers in the house without an adult, another adult, I'm going to go insane. But before you know it, they're going to be in college. So the challenge is, can I actually bend or stretch a little to open my heart and to open my mind? Who's going to benefit from that? Everybody. You're going to benefit by growing spiritually and in a mind-body perspective and in a health perspective in virtually every way. Mindfulness, we teach it as the core practice in the stress reduction clinic at the UMass Medical Center and in other mindfulness-based stress reduction clinics all around the world. And it has been shown to have tremendously uh, valuable properties of you know healing and health enhancement and emotional, uh, more furthering emotional responsivity and intelligence. And we bring that into the domain of the family. It can't but be beneficial for both the parents and the children. As Milo pointed out, it's extremely hard work, but it also has tremendous 
um, joy and satisfaction that comes out of it. And the alternative is really that you might be on automatic pilot the whole time and miss the beauty of your life unfolding. When kids are engaged in activities that sometimes really are not in their best interest, let's say they're watching a lot of TV or they're sitting at the computer a lot, or let's say they're eating a lot of junk food, or to encourage our kids to actually pay attention to how these things make them feel. How do you feel after you watch TV? How do you feel after you eat that candy bar? So That is after the sugar high. Exactly, after the sugar high, right? Then, then how do you feel? You know, kids can start really paying attention to that. That is a tremendous uh, learning that when they become teenagers and let's say their friends are all smoking and they start to pick up a cigarette, they might say to themselves, hey, how do I really feel after I smoke the cigarette? And that's how kids start to develop uh, the ability to make wiser choices. And I think that the, the, um, the work of mindful parenting, it, it is a lot easier if you start when they're young, because really what you're doing is you're building a foundation. You're building a foundation where they're learning more about being more self-aware, but they're also, the foundation is in the strength of the relationship that you have with them. Being more present for your children whenever it occurs to you to do it, even if you haven't been doing it since they were infants, can be tremendously healing and even for older children, tremendously surprising. Like, oh, what's going on with dad? Or what's, what's wrong with mom all of a sudden? You know, she's like more open or more present, and it can be very surprising, and I think it accomplishes a number of things. First of all, it reminds the children that uh, the parents aren't dead, you know, that we're continually, continually growing ourselves. We're not stuck in certain kinds of positions, and that can be astonishing to the children to see that actually parents continue to grow and are willing to let go of certain habits and behaviors and opinions and lifestyles and, and entertain new possibilities. And, and so uh, even with uh, mindful parenting, is not just about babies, infants, and toddlers. It's, it's, it's about being more mindful in your relationships even with, say, adult children or with grandchildren. And the same principles could be used with people who work with uh, children, even if they don't have children of their own. I mean, the power of uh, practicing being present, the power of practicing open listening, of being less judgmental, hearing what the child actually is saying instead of what you think the child is saying. So sometimes it means asking more deeply, do I understand, is this what it is that you're saying? I think it can be particularly difficult to really listen and hear when we're um, listening with a lot of fear or anxiety, because very often that colors how how we hear our children. Um, so just it's not that we um, are going to magically get rid of our fear and anxiety, but if we can be aware of our fear and anxiety, if we can say, "Oh, okay, right now I'm feeling really frightened and I have a lot of anxiety," can I? 
can I be aware of that anxiety and, and try to sort of hear through that anxiety to what my child is actually saying? And I think the other aspect of being more mindful in our listening has to do with putting aside our agendas. Very often we listen to kids with an agenda. You know, we want to accomplish something. Very often we're not really listening. We're thinking about the thing we're going to say next. We're thinking about what we want the end result to be. And I think that we can get in our own way. Myla and John Kabat-Zinn, they're authors of Everyday Blessings, the inner work of mindful parenting. To Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with the Network Incorporated. Studio recording by Steve Colby. Editorial assistance from Brendan Tapley. Program development and support provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This is Humankind Program number 16 with John and Myla Kabat-Zinn. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.